Hello and a big warm welcome to you to the Aware Parenting and Natural Learning podcast with Marion Rose and Joss Golden. We are really passionate about practicing aware parenting and natural learning together and would love to offer you information and inspiration to support you if you feel called to practice these in your family too. Hello and a big warm welcome to you and welcome to the Aware Parenting and Natural Learning podcast. My name is Marion Rose. And my name is Joss Golden. And today we're doing an episode, as you've probably seen from the title, on school trauma. And this is really going to be, I imagine, a pivotal episode in all of our podcasts. Yes, I think so. (laughs) It feels like, yeah, it feels like something that is really important, like something that we're both really passionate about and wanting to be really clear to people about so that people have a deeper understanding about this subject. Yeah. Yes. And I think it's even a big thing to even acknowledge school trauma. I know we both went through a bit of a process, didn't we, as we were uh, in our Aware Parenting and Natural Learning community last year. And I think, well, I'll speak for myself, Joss. I was before talking more about school hurts. And I really saw that pivotal moment when I actually started to really name school trauma and to actually to bring that into consciousness. And I think we have talked about this in previous episodes, how because school is so seen as just culturally normal, it's just a thing that everybody does and it's just necessary that actually the awareness of the effect it has on children and the effect it's had on us, if we went to school as a child, to actually acknowledge trauma, I think is such a pivotal point in that journey to move away from no it's just not a thing that everyone needs to do it's actually this institutionalized system that is actually very damaging for the majority of children Mm, yeah I love how you phrase that Marianne and I think like we have such a deeper understanding now about trauma and what trauma is and the different types and categories of trauma and so depending on who you read there are different descriptions of what trauma is and that might be the sort of looking at trauma from as an acute very serious experience that somebody might have or it could be looking at that sort of subconscious pre pre pre-verbal kind of in utero trauma or it could be a developmental thing or you might be talking about intergenerational trauma or you might be talking about a collective cultural trauma but there's no category that is widely discussed called school trauma and yet, as I just worked out, our children mostly are spending nearly 20,000 hours of their childhood in school. And we can see when we start to look at the school experience, all the different places and all the different ways that school does induce trauma for people. And so, yeah, I, I would love there to be a separate category <laughs> called school trauma that really dives into this more deeply, that understands this whole picture more clearly. Yes, and I know you've done lots and lots of research for this also recently over many years, but also recently before going on the podcast that you went on recently that you might also talk about. And so do you want to also say something about about a definition or an understanding of trauma so that when we're talking about school trauma, what we're talking about here? Sure, yeah. And I have, like you say, I did lots of research on this more recently to kind of bring it all together more coherently for myself in order to be able to share it on a podcast that I was talking about my own experiences of being at boarding school and the trauma that I experienced there, as well as how to reduce adversity and suffering for children. So 
we'll talk some more about that later on in the podcast, I think. But I really learned much more clarity about what trauma is from reading Aletha's amazing book, Healing Your Traumatized Child. And if anybody hasn't read that, I highly recommend reading that because she talks a lot in that book about what trauma is and the neurobiology of these different traumatic responses in the body, how these responses are naturally designed to complete, and then what happens to us if those uh, responses are not completed. But Aletha basically defines trauma as anything that causes physical or emotional pain or threatens a child's sense of well-being. So it's basically anything that a child perceives themselves as being frightening or threatening that is potentially traumatic. And I love Gabor Mate when he talks about this work too, and he's talking about how trauma is not the thing that happens to us. It is the result of that, what happens inside of us in response to these experiences that we all inevitably face that can cause trauma. And so it's a very subjective experience, really, what trauma is. But Elisa has these two beautiful descriptions of the two primary stress responses that we are physiologically designed to go into for short periods of time in response to threat in order to survive uh, the hyperarousal response and the dissociation response or the fight, flight and freeze response. So, yeah, Aletha talks about trauma being on a on a spectrum from sort of big, traumatic, major, major experiences that we are have to adapt to to much smaller like mini traumas or micro traumas they're sometimes known as which is the smaller smaller day-to-day things that we might experience that could still be painful and threatening for a child and so she describes really beautifully how the impact on us and we'll talk more about the impact of trauma later on in the conversation but she does talk about how the impact on us of lots of little mini traumatic experiences very much the same in terms of the physiological response in our bodies as this response to a big trauma. So she also talks about how being in school every day, day in, day out, it is inevitable that our children are going to be experiencing traumatic and difficult experiences, which will be experienced as trauma in their bodies because they almost never at school have the support that they need in order to be able to complete that stress response. So in hyperarousal, she talks about how the sympathetic nervous system kicks in, your heart rate increases, there's increased blood flow to the arms and the legs um, so that you can run away or fight. Um, You get less blood flow to the intestines. We produce adrenaline and cortisol. And all of this just automatically happens in this perfect, beautiful cascade in order for us to survive and run away. And in the freeze or dissociation response, she describes a more complicated neurobiological picture. But in that state, the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in. Our heart rate and blood pressure are reduced. We release endorphins and dopamine and cortisol and adrenaline. And so, again, what she's describing is these two perfect physiological conditions that we go into automatically in order to survive. So in the fight flight response, we are designed to literally be fighting away that lion that's attacking us or running away from the lion. And in the dissociation response, we are physiologically being programmed to play dead. So the lion loses interest and leaves us alone. And then once that threat has gone, we are designed to physiologically go back to this sense of balance and our nervous systems are designed to calm down. And of course, when we don't do that uh, in our current cultures and in school, particularly, we're unable to do that because 
We don't have the support we need in the moment to complete that response uh, to, to, and to tell our bodies that we're safe. And we are going back into those situations day in, day out, which are causing us to go back into this, this stress response. And, and anything that happens in the present moment that in any way reminds us of an initial trauma that wasn't processed, that wasn't healed, that wasn't released, pushes our body straight back into that feeling. So we end up being hypervigilant, living in these chronic states of stress that we were, were never designed to be in. And of course, we understand the impact of that our emotional and physical well-being and health so that's a sort of rough description oh well I, I don't think it's rough I think it's beautiful <laughs> uh, and of course when you talked about completing that response and the calming down I think so often in our culture we think and I've been talking about this a lot recently and thinking about it as well about not trusting we we do not trust or we are taught to not trust natural biological physiological psychological ways to heal from stress and trauma which of course is what aware parenting is all about actually coming back to that deep trust in children in this example with school that they do have these innate processes to heal from stress and trauma of course and actually as you were talking about the Aletha talking about those daily and often multiple times a day stresses well what I was remembering actually is when she came to Australia the first time and I was helping organize her workshops here and I literally still can remember her actually the the Byron theater and having this little wind-up toy and she gave this beautiful demonstration where she talked about actually and I'm pretty sure it was a child at either daycare or school and all the different things that have happened to the child, all the little things that are not little and the big things that might happen to a child just at one day at school from actually even the day before possibly being rushed to get to bed at a certain time so that they can get to sleep and get up at the next day, maybe being woken up by an alarm, being told to get up, all of the ways in which that, even the things that are around school, not even what happens at school. Anyway, and each time, making a turn of the toy and turn and turn and turn and then the toy was designed that once you'd wound it up to a certain extent it would kind of open and kind of flail around everywhere and really the beauty of that natural response natural relaxation and healing response that we all have and that babies and children often still have intact to cry and rage with vigorous movement in the context of loving support whilst they have that emotional safety. So what you're talking about is often missing in those school environments is that emotional safety, the understanding of how to heal from trauma, let alone the adults to have the time and space to be able to listen to 30 children's healing from trauma responses. So I think it's so important to, to know that this isn't about trying to calm a child down. This is actually about supporting the nervous system to, as you say, to complete that response through and the, often that vigorous movement being part of releasing that, the, the tension that was built up in their arms, in their legs to fight or flee, to make loud noises, which is the crying and the raging as they would have felt that response, that there's something dangerous that's happened. And but of course, part of aware parenting, we talk about this often, don't we, Joss, is the third in terms of those, the beautiful three principles of aware parenting. And the third one is initially the prevention of stress and trauma wherever possible. And then understanding that where we are not able to do that, yes, we can support these natural processes, 
But our first role as parents is wherever possible to prevent stress or trauma from happening in the first place. And I think this is so essential to this conversation about school trauma, where actually most parents are encouraged, not even encouraged, but like basically told that they have to or they should send their children to school. And that's just how things are. Mm. I love how you described all that. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it is it is part of this, the fact that that is not understood, that day in, day out, our children are being put in an, in an institution where they are inevitably going to be experiencing pain and challenge and difficulty. And the impact of that long-term on their life, I, it, it allows school still to be normalised for everybody. And yet, if parents, I think, really understood that schools, even the really beautiful ones that do their best, are inevitably going to be places where children experience challenge and stress and where they're not going to be able to be supported to fully heal from that. So with that understanding, it's much more likely that not only will parents not be inclined to send their children to school, but as a culture, there will be an increased There'll be a shift in our culture, which means that parents who do take their children out of school are going to have much more supports in place to be able to make that an easy and possible and potential uh, option for them. So because often people are reluctant to homeschool because they think it's going to be really difficult and stressful and they know that there aren't supports in place. And yet I think if we as a culture really understood the traumatic impact of school and the long-term impact of those impacts on our life, on who we are and who we feel ourselves to be and how we show up in the world, then there would be a demand for more uh, different alternatives that didn't involve school, that involved supporting families to raise their children in ways where they weren't exposed to stress day in, day out, where they were supported to heal from stress whenever they did experience it, and where they're raised in, in situations which are full of love and compassion and connection and, and uh, connection to a tribe, which is how we evolved to live, not sending our children away to institutions where they're stressed and then they're not cared for to, to process that stress. Oh, yes, Joss. And I, I think what we're both, and we've been talking about this, haven't we, about really, we're not talking about just inviting everyone to homeschool. What we're really inviting is a change in the whole culture, in the whole system, so that there isn't this dichotomy of two things that really, you know, school, which is traumatic, homeschooling which is generally quite hard because we we don't have the structures of support and community support that is actually really essential and we need to try to build those ourselves which is inevitably at times perhaps going to be hard that actually we're talking about creating a whole new system which is much more related or supportive of actually how we're how we are more like a hunter-gatherer origins that we are actually designed to be that children are designed to be around us and observing from being around adults and that we could set up some amazing structures couldn't we that support learning of things that are really useful without parents and children being separated for long hours without punishments and rewards without homework without grading without exams without all the painful things that happen in the playground because children are traumatized and they're trying to feel a bit a little bit more comfortable so they're passing all that trauma off by being harsh and comparing and judging all of those things that we could in this beautiful evolutionary way look at how can we bring 
what we understand about our past and what we have here and now to create systems that actually support children to thrive and to grow and to learn in a way that doesn't have any of that unnecessary stuff in it. Mm, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm so willing for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's just going to transform children's lives and the adults who they become to not be in day in day out experiencing traumatizing and devastating experiences and challenges at school which is the reality and you were talking about some of those things there that could be traumatizing for children but I mean maybe it'd be helpful for us to go into that in a bit more detail and again like we can preface this next part of the conversation by saying again this is about uh, criticizing the systems and the institutions obviously there are beautiful teachers lots and lots and lots of beautiful teachers out there who really want to support children to learn who are so passionate and and patient and and kind and loving and well-meaning for children and we are really not criticizing those people at all in this conversation what we're doing is trying to identify the ways that being in these institutions is experienced as trauma for our children so I don't know where to start with that really but I think there are I mean there are so many and I mean maybe I'll just start by talking about my experience if you're happy for me to do that Marion and I was talking recently on this podcast about my experience of having been in boarding school from the age of eight and there is increasingly now well understood that Boarding schools are traumatic places for children and there are lots of amazing psychotherapists and psychologists and psychiatrists who've done lots of research into this. And one of them who I really particularly love is this woman called Joy Chevron and she's written this book called Boarding School Syndrome. And in that book, she identifies four main areas. And I I think this applies to all schools, actually, to some extent, and particularly in boarding school. And she talks about A, B, C and D. So the A is for abandonment which is that wound that we experience when we are separated from our families. Obviously, in boarding school, that is uh, extreme because you are taken away from your families for for weeks and weeks on end. But in a day-to-day experience for a child going to school, that is also a a daily experience of, of being left. And when you have big feelings or difficult things happening to you at school, you do get this experience of being abandoned, of not having your loving support person there to help you navigate whatever it is that you're going through. She talks about bereavement and and in relation to boarding school, that is about, again, from that separation, experiencing that homesickness, losing who you are. And I think, again, you know, all children in schools have to, in some way, compromise their authenticity in order to be safe and to fit in. And as a result, we experience a bereavement of self, a disconnection from self, from who we are, and, and a yearning to be together and safe in our in the place that we feel safe. And obviously, yeah, that's an extreme one at boarding school too. The C is for captivity. And that is being uh, held in this sort of prison-like environment where we don't get any reprieve, where we're never allowed to have any power or say or self-determination or agency or choice. And we are held there against our will for long periods of time. And again, that is also true in most schools. 
children arrive at the school at 8.30 in the morning and they are captive there until three o'clock in the afternoon. And they, if they feel uncomfortable or if they feel unwell, often if they want to go to the toilet, they can't do that. And so there is this sense of being held captive and it is yeah, we see a lot of similarities and we joke sometimes about the similarities between prison and school. And I don't mean to you know, be lighthearted about it, but actually that there are a lot of ways where you're having to wear a uniform, where you're not being allowed to move in the way that your body needs to move, where you are being subjected to all of the other things about being in an institution that are traumatizing and difficult. And the fourth thing she talks about is dissociation which again is one of these trauma responses that we go into when we experience difficult things and that that process is not allowed to complete. And so we switch off, we disconnect from self further, we don't connect and express our feelings because it's not safe to do so. And of course, in boarding school, it was incredibly dangerous to do so. We, I never cried at school. I knew that if I was, if I, I learned how to cry silently, actually, <laughs> because I knew that if I cried out loud, I would be bullied, I would be shamed by teachers, my experience would be invalidated and belittled. And again, you know, our children in schools, generally, there are very few schools in the world where a child would feel really safe to cry and to have those feelings heard lovingly by a loving, connected adult. And so they learn to dissociate. And when we go into this chronic states of dissociation, it's incredibly hard to come out of that. And when we're talking about school trauma and healing from school trauma, what we really need to do is to connect with our feelings. And it's very, very difficult to do so if we've spent our lives dissociating from them. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, there are lots of other things we might add to that, but that would be like a first discussion about some of those things. <laughs> I really appreciate you naming them. And I can almost I can feel parts of me that wanting to dissociate, like even just contemplating these. So I'd also love to say to anyone who's listening you might even want to pause at any time that these are going to be really big things as we also take in because most of us went to school and whether that was boarding school or not and they're big words aren't they abandonment bereavement captivity and dissociation they're really big things to come each one of those and I actually am thinking we might even do some more episodes on this to really dive into this deeper but to actually really you know I almost want to slow down but to be really gentle and say to even explore each of those because that doesn't include so many other things does it that we know in terms of aware parenting like the effect of punishments and rewards the effect of shame the effect of other children calling us names or being harsh being excluded like there's just so many other things that go around the outside of these four really core pivotal uh, pieces so that's my initial response is oh gosh I'm just like <laughs> oh they're big because they're big words, aren't they? To to think of, like even just to start with abandonment, the fact that so many of us were not ready to be separated and would have been told that we had to, no choice. I've heard stories, I'm sure you have too, about children being like literally clinging on to their parents and being pulled away, parents running off, parents leaving teachers telling telling them your child will be fine and they're always fine after you've gone just go and just all that again the institutionalized things that parents are told in relation to you and this just happens and and the whole separation anxiety which has become something quite different from what it was originally and now it's basically just a child has feelings in relation to separation whereas from a aware parenting perspective and actually from a more ancient perspective, the normalness of children to want to be with their attachment figures. That's a survival, that's a safety 
issue. So just so much around that, that most children are not ready to leave. And what I see in that as well is that some children, often if they're a younger sibling and their siblings have gone to school, there can be that excitement to go off, but often it's because they get to be like the big sibling or the friend or the person they've seen on TV. Whereas actually the reality of what that means for them to be away from their secure attachments for many, many hours a day and not being able to do what we're designed to do in secure attachment, which is if exactly as you said, if we do have something scary happen, if we feel upset, we're designed to be able to straight away run to someone we are securely attached to and go and cling, hold on and cry and share the experience. That's what we're designed to have. The fact that that's delayed for a whole school day or in your example, like a whole school term. And then, you know, that it just wrecks that whole process, doesn't it, of attachment, which is like fundamental to who we are as human beings. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yes. I love the way you responded to that. Mm. And I think there is this perception in our culture that by the time children are school age, they're somehow ready for that. It's they're, they're old enough now to be apart from their families. And I think because so many parents have to drop their children off at school and then go to work, they're not even aware of the the impact of this on their kids and they don't see it. And and so I have this perspective from you know, my own really traumatic perspective of being abandoned and being left and, and being separated from my family for, for weeks and weeks at a time and how devastating that was. But I also was with my son in kindy when he was in kindy and I was there two days a week with him all day. And so I could see children day in, day out experiencing this um this devastating impact of not being, not having access to their loving carer whilst at school. Uh, and that continued. I mean, there, there were children at the primary school who were up to, I guess, 11 at that stage. And I, I saw it in children of all ages every day. What kinds of things did you see, Joss? Well, children experiencing distress, whether that was at the hands of a teacher and these teachers were beautiful and child-centered and it was a community school and they really were doing their best but they're also traumatized they also come to the school with their unhealed trauma and they're stressed and they have to meet the needs of lots of children which is really impossible and they have to comply with all kinds of crazy government regulations which is also impossible and often they are then having to teach in a way that doesn't align with their values so they're stressed and so they will respond to children with stress at times and so or that could be on the receiving end of stress from another child who, as you say, is 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 experiencing a traumatic, um, having a traumatic experience and is therefore might be being aggressive, might be being harsh, might be going into that hyperarousal response where they are fighting, where they're throwing or grabbing or shouting or, or teasing or bullying or hurting. Um, so it could be that. It could be that, uh, again, children, are, are because they are in a stressed response, in this chronically day-to-day -day stress response, they might respond with lots of laughter to try to offload some of these big feelings. And so you might the child might have been asked a question and they might answer it in a in a silly way or in a way that isn't the expected answer and all the other children would then turn around and laugh at that child and it's not you know that we can see from an aware parenting perspective that is releasing feelings in them of stress but it's also 
you could see it causing this contraction. You could see the children contracting further and further as a result of, of, of all of the different experiences that they were having in that environment. So those are just some of the things that I saw. And you know, I can relate it back to many of these experiences that I had myself. And, you know, as I said, that was a pretty extreme version because I didn't have anybody there to go to. And the children were all really, really traumatized that I was at school with. So, yeah, there are just lots and lots of, of micro moments that add up to cause these really big impacts. And this this contraction, I think, is quite a nice way of describing it because it's sort of, yeah, you can see that humiliation and the shame and the blame and the punishment and the anger and the disconnection all just layer on top of each other. Yes, and of course then the natural response would be to then to move into to crying or raging or laughter and play and that response not being welcome as you shared about in your experience because there would be either shame or punishment or, you know, very rarely, I'm sure in some schools there might be some empathy from or compassion from teachers. But so that what's what's the option then really? Dissociation is the major option for children. So they're having this uh, this separation, these traumatic things happening and not having the person that they need to go to 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 actually share. I feel upset or I feel scared or so and so said some, something to me. So what can they do? And, and over time, just thinking about that, the for most of us, the hundreds probably tens or hundreds of thousands of times where we just needed to suppress repress dissociate because that was the only option available and all those feelings that then sit in our bodies and affect us in all the ways that they do and all the beliefs that we then acquire about ourselves and I think that's something that I'm being particularly passionate about understanding and particularly in working with women uh, entrepreneurs basically and actually seeing how much school trauma shows up in entrepreneurship in terms of although who am I to do this and I can't do this and I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't say this and fear and terror and all of the stuff that shows up in relation to actually sharing our voices and doing what we're here to do in the world and really saying seeing that so much of that comes from those school experiences that school trauma and that actually prevents so many people or really slows down that process of us doing what we're here to do because we need to work through shed loads of trauma and do lots of healing to actually just be able to get up and speak or whatever it is that we want to do yeah absolutely and that dissociation and so often when we work with clients they say to us my kids won't cry or you know they're really reluctant to go into feelings and often I say to them, well, when was the last time you had a cry? Or, you know, how are you getting to express your feelings? And most of them say, I, I never cry. I never express my feelings. I don't know. I can't do it. I just don't know how to. I don't know how to connect with those painful feelings. Or it feels so big. I don't know where to start. It feels like I'm going to drown if I actually go into any of those feelings. And I totally relate to the people saying that because that's what I experienced too. And that's what happens when we learn for hours and hours and hours and hours at a time that we have to dissociate from our feelings we learn that that's that's the only way to respond and like you say these these traumatic imprints that we then get in our body we create all these really painful stories and, and narratives around it and, and imprints about who we are and and how we're going to show up in the world and it these are so deeply ingrained in us 
and we carry with them for the rest of our lives. And it doesn't take much to, to tip us right into that. So it could be in preparation for speaking on that podcast, for example. I, I had, and you know, because I shared so much with it. And thank you so much for your beautiful support, as always, by the way, and loving listening. Um, but yeah, I had so many times where the thought, even the thought of doing that, of speaking out, felt so dangerous to me that I actually questioned whether I was able to do it at all. And I think... You know, the other thing that we're often exposed to in schools is, is physical violence or, or sexual violence or sexual harassment and sexual assault. And that is that's true in lots of schools. And I know that I'm I'm not suggesting that it's going on everywhere, but it, it does happen. And often in our in this DDC, the way that um, for example, in high school, often the way that children in high school respond to each other has this element of of sort of sexual well, inappropriate sexual behavior from, and often from teachers too, of course, and physical violence. And when you witness that, whether it's something that you receive yourself or whether that's something that you witness, that is devastatingly terrifying. And so it doesn't take much to push your nervous system straight back into that terrifying response. So it could be you know, even having a conversation with your partner and they might look at you in a funny way or they might say something that you experience as being critical. And that pushes us right back into those experiences. So it, it's not just what we experience at the time. It's the impact of that long term on our lives and how quickly we get pushed back. It doesn't take much in my day to day life in spite of all the healing that I've done and all the hours of listening and talking and crying and raging and working through for me to be pushed back into that state where I feel like my life is in danger, I feel like I'm about to be attacked and I'm about to die. I'm really at threat level. So the the impact is is devastating and long lasting for all of us as a result of these experiences, whether they are big, big traumatic experiences or whether they are these mini micro experiences. Oh, sweetheart, my heart goes out to you and and. Yeah, it's it's so much about that sense of safety, isn't it? Because I've been thinking often when we're talking about school, I'm thinking more like younger children, but thinking about teenagers and and actually that second point, uh, the the betrayal betrayal, and the ways we need to disconnect from ourselves. If we're having lots of young people, which is often it is, there's still often maybe one teacher. Sometimes I know nowadays schools have maybe two or three even, but. In general, it is that whole uh, peer culture. Again, we are going to talk about Hold On To Your Kids, aren't we? Gabor Mate's lovely book. But basically, to, to fit in to a kind of culture which we're in for those 19,000 hours, which is basically amongst other teenagers who also have been stressed and traumatized and who are sitting with lots of big feelings in their bodies, and we're all, and everyone's trying to be safe in their own particular way, whether that's for some dissociating, some moving to being the very silly and being like the class clown, others being the kind of, in inverted commas, the school bully and being aggressive, like everyone trying to, all these teenagers, poor teenagers trying to basically be safe in the system. It, there's so much, isn't there, around needing to fit in that betrayal thing, I think so often really really happens in schools and particularly in those teenage years but in really subtle ways like right from from day dot the reason why 
I think so often parents say, I couldn't ever homeschool because my child wouldn't do what I asked them to do. Much of the reason why children do at school, even in more compassionate schools or more alternative schools, is because there's this group think, isn't there, around this is what we do and you need to fit in. And it's easier then for teachers because children are more willing to comply, I would say, rather than cooperate. But actually at what cost to their own unique self-connection? And what I've observed in children who don't go to school and who haven't been to school is that really is so often so intact. And I remember many years ago, the father of my children saying, and it's always stuck with me, is that if you're deeply connected with yourself and perhaps you, you know, not so connected with others, that's, that's a much easier thing to learn later in life. But if as a child you have deeply disconnected with yourself in order to fit in and belong, it's a way longer and harder process to actually reconnect with who we really are, what we want and don't want. In my work, our yeses and nos, like to really deeply connect with ourselves. That is a huge coming home process. It's not a quick fix. No, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the ultimate thing that our children are doing in school, isn't it? Is they are having to compromise their authenticity in order to be safe and to fit in. And that then becomes a lifelong pattern. Even if you're going home and you're having lots of attachment play and lots of listening to feelings. And again, no blame or judgment of parents. Of course, these are the things that they have to do often as a result of their circumstances. But the reality is that our children in these institutions can't be authentically themselves. Because if they if they are they will be, it's not safe for them to be authentically themselves. And as a result, they compromise that and they learn to be somebody else or they think they have to be someone else. And then they grow up to be adults who who don't have that connection to their authenticity and who think that themselves is not good enough. And these universal wounds that we see so often in adults of feeling unlovable, feeling unworthy, feeling all of these deeply painful things that so many of us are carrying and that affect our lives and cause us so much distress come from this, this exact thing. And yet if we keep our children out of these institutions, they can stay deeply connected to they are who they are. They know that they're safe to be who they are. They know that however they show up, they're going to be loved. They know that no matter how they behave, we're always going to be looking underneath their behavior. And that just doesn't happen at school. They know they're going to be connected with. They know they're going to be prioritized. They know their needs are going to be met. They know that who they are is good enough, that they are unconditionally loved. And they experience that day in, day out. And even at our worst, when we're really stressed and triggered and traumatized ourselves and going into those younger parts and are horrible to our children, we still always come back to rewinding. We still always come back to that reconnection. And so... They're just free from having to compromise their authenticity day in, day out, and then the long-term impact of that on their lives. Mm, so powerful, isn't it? I was thinking as you were talking about that phrase I so often hear nowadays is that being a people pleaser, it's like a kind of general description, and that's what happens, isn't it? Like if, if in school we need to day after day after day do what the teacher is asking in order to avoid punishment, do what other children are doing in order to avoid being outcast or being shamed what else could we do but disconnect from ourselves and of course the the ddc as you so beautifully describe it wants people to be people pleasers they wants us it's a really powerful tool of the ddc to be keeping people in school because they they 
are disconnected from their authenticity and they are willing to go on with whatever they have to do in order to fit the system. And that's what that's what our, the culture demands and, and needs from us. And yet, and it needs us to grow up as children, understanding that our needs don't matter and that the well-being of the fitting into the collective is more important and doing as we're told. And so, yeah, we do. We learn our children are taught to disconnect from their needs. And there are so many ways in school that our children are forced to disconnect from their needs, from like the sort of one size fits all curriculum that doesn't take any account of our children's interests or learning styles or learning speed. The fact that children all have to sit still. And if you're not willing to be sitting still or not able to be sitting still, then you're sent off for a diagnosis and then you're medicated so that you can sit still or the fact that you're never allowed to to play when you want to or to relax when you want to, and all these other ways that children are disconnected from their needs. And again, we can see the impact of that long-term on adults who grow up totally. I mean, I had no idea I had any needs when I left school. I just didn't, it wasn't even aware of it until I came across Aware Parenting and you you introducing me to like Marshall Rosenberg's work and stuff. And then you look at his beautiful inventory of needs on the Center for Nonviolent Communication you can see I go through that list as I, I was using it for something else recently and I was talking about this in the podcast but I go through that list and other than those needs for air and food and water and shelter none of those needs were met for me at school and and I think that for the majority of children in the majority of schools the vast majority of their needs are not being met day in day out and as a result yeah, they, they grow up to be adults to think that they don't have any needs to not know how to take care of themselves. And this is such a crucial part of aware parenting is, is understanding children's needs and understanding our needs as parents and finding ways in the family to get everybody's needs met. But really, we can see that as a result of going to school ourselves and as a result of our children being in schools, no one's needs in the family are getting met. It's just... <laughs> shocking isn't it like the more we dive into this and and feel into all these things and again so again sending love to anybody listening but you to pause anytime if you want to it's like these are really big things as we and as the further we go on and the more we understand all the effects of going to school on all of us uh, and the variety of experiences that would be because each of us are different each of us went to different schools in different circumstances but the commonality of all of these things i wanted to go back to the sea as well captivity really about the all i love all the words you use the agency and autonomy and choice and basically that sense that from those hours that's where a child has to be and it's very uncommon isn't it i think so often because parents are also conditioned because i'm imagining what happens as well their younger parts are no, you have to stay at school because they got punished or told off or shamed if they wanted to leave or wanted to do something different. So there's this sense of needing to be at this particular place for these hours every single day, five days a week for all of those years, for all those 19,000 hours. I and mean, it's just that in itself, what needs to happen in order for that to happen, in order for those those needs for agency. And you can imagine all the times, I can imagine for you, like, the hundreds of thousands of times you might have thought, oh, I just want to go home. And I know I had that so often, like, just don't want to be here. The, the amount of time I would have been sitting at school experiencing some kind of pain or other. I had lots of unenjoyable things happen to me at the hands of other children, for example, and being highly sensitive anyway. And I went to my, it was called secondary school in those days instead of high school. 
you know, for me being with, I think it was 1,200 other children, young people, just that in itself and all the bells and the noise, I would just on the even basic level of the amount of sensory input going on. And we know we've talked about this in other episodes and about needing to wear the uniforms and the polyester and in winter in England, all of those things. Like to me, I see those as like a really basic level, really traumatic that we are not getting to have things that are comfortable against our skin, all the ways that that's actually part of the captivity. And the captivity, as you said, not only wearing the school uniform, and I know that not all schools do, but just the sense of not getting to choose, not having autonomy and choice, not getting to say no. And I know for me, about eight years ago, I created the Power and Powerlessness in Parenting course, and I dived in deep to powerlessness. And when I realized that so often the feelings of powerlessness that would show up for me as a parent, particularly if my children didn't want to do something that I wanted them to do or were doing something that I didn't want them to do, and either the powerlessness or the rage that would show up in me when I actually realized there were probably hundreds of thousands of times where I didn't get to choose at school and then didn't get to express any of those feelings, those were what were bubbling up. So we haven't even really talked about that, but the way that our own school experiences then affect us as parents in our reactions to our children when we are as you were talking about earlier when we're reminded of those experiences and often that is in terms of particularly with where with young children and you know things are going on and we're not getting to not getting the same degree of choice that we had before we became parents we don't just get to go oh I want to go out the door <laughs> we've got a baby and a toddler and or whatever and we need to support them to be willing to go out the door it's so common to feel those big feelings so that can have such a big effect as well yeah yeah it's so big and yeah we're talking about universal human needs here that we all have in varying degrees to have control and a degree of autonomy over our lives over what we do where we go who we're with what we spend our time doing you know and the list goes on and on and on And yet these are being denied day in, day out for hours and hours at a time. And yeah, I loved how you brought up the impact that that then has on us as parents. Because, I mean, I was just talking about the impact on on me or on people as individuals, but then how that then plays out in our relationships and and our interactions with our children is, is so important, isn't it? Because, yeah, like you say, so often those really painful times with our children, when we do react harshly to them, it's because our unhealed trauma is being touched in some way in that moment. And as a result of that, we're not responding to our children in a way that we really want to, in the way that we are devoted to doing because we're into this aware parenting thing. Instead, it's our it's our younger parts and our inner child that's running the show. And yeah, that, that comes up again and again, particularly, as you say, yeah, in relation to that powerlessness thing and that not having choice and or not having support, or yeah, just all those different ways. Yes, there's so many, so many impacts. And I I think that if people, I think we're going to talk about this more, aren't we, in other podcasts, and we're going to have some other episodes where we talk more about this. And I think the dissociation piece, I love how you say each of those A, B, C, and D could be their own episodes. And I think yeah, there's a lot to unpack about that dissociation piece. So we will be talking about that more in future episodes. 
And yeah, if people want to learn more about my experience, I just had, as as I said, I did this podcast episode on a podcast called An Evolving Man. And the podcast was about uh, boarding schools being traumatic. So if anybody wants to listen a bit more to my experience and my understanding, I talk a lot in there about aware parenting and about natural learning and about my experience and so on. So if anybody wants to listen to that, I invite you to go and do that. Yes. But I think we'll talk about it more in, in, in future episodes, won't we? Yes, 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 yes. Hmm. So... Yes, we're, so this is going to be part one, clearly, because we've got lots more to talk about and I've got a thing to go to now. So we will be back to talk more. And also in the meanwhile, if you want to reach out and share anything or ask questions, things that you might like us to include in part two, please do. We would love to hear. And again, I just want to say I'm sending so much love to anybody listening because these are really, really big things. And, you know, to... to for each of us to, to gain our next level of realization or awareness about how we might have been affected. And also if your children or your child is at school or has been at school, to be aware of these things is big and painful. And we do remind you as always to not pick up any sticks as I call them. So to really refrain from judging or shaming or just think we all need so much compassion around all of this. Yes, absolutely. And a reminder that the wonderful thing with aware parenting is that we can always support our children to heal. So we, you know, whatever experiences they have, whatever choices we've made to date, whatever choices we are forced to continue to make because of external circumstances that are completely outside our control, there are always beautiful ways to support our children. And just being aware of the impact of of school in terms of the trauma that it might cause our children we then know with these beautiful tools of aware parenting, we can support them to heal. So there's always hope, there's always optimism, there's always healing. Yeah, it's so wonderful, isn't it? So important to keep coming back to that. And mm, so to finish off the episode, I wonder if you want to share, Like, we'll share in the show notes as well, the link to that episode as well that you're on. And I wonder if you want to share also just what you're up to now and what people can do with you and find out about what you're doing. I'm still doing the same things that I've been doing and one-to-one sessions. I'm focusing a lot because it's coming up a lot in sessions at the moment about helping, supporting people to to learn to be compassionate with themselves and as they're offering compassion to their children, working with couples when there's tension and disagreement around parenting and yeah, just diving deep into aware parenting any way I can. (laughs) What about you? I know your beautiful work you're doing at the moment around babies and sleep and yeah, really diving deep. So I've just written the book about babies and children, and there's a tiny bit about teens and sleep. But I've got a new course coming out on sleep and a, an online workshop as well. And I'm and I have some places for one month mentoring, so I have some places for that too. So so yes. yummy, isn't it? We just keep getting to dive in deeper to all of these things and keep learning ourselves. It's it's the epitome of natural learning, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely, yeah thank you everybody for listening we're sending you so much love and we're so looking forward to coming back to talk about part two so yes lots of love lots of love we have really enjoyed talking to you today and we hope that you enjoyed the episode too we are sending you love however you feel after hearing this information to find out more about marion's work you can go to marionrose.net And for Joss's website, it is awareparenting.com.au. We wish you much love and connection on your aware parenting and natural learning adventures. Mm